Now to growing concerns about you must stay at home. Total cases in the U.S. now top 8.4 million. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. I hate you, 2020! Well, that was a pile of crap, I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So, from San Francisco to Sydney, my name's Ben Kenwright, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. So, welcome back to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. It's good to have you here again. We are back over to San Francisco today, to the Bay Area, where we're talking to a Joe Caprio from Reprise. So this conversation with Joe is just brilliant. I know you haven't heard it yet, but take my word for it, the next hour or so of this listening time will be very well spent indeed. So Joe is the self-confessed VP of sales, career VP of sales. And Joe was, well, he's had a very impressive CV so far. And he was working at a leading sales tech organization in San Francisco who actually fired him at the start of 2020. So Joe was between jobs and by an act of serendipity ended up getting in contact with a few of his former colleagues who were starting another sales tech company. And I guess it's a story of almost reluctant entrepreneur uh, where Joe being a career VP of sales didn't think he was about to co-found a company but that's what he did and that company is Reprise who are certainly one of if not the fastest growing brands we have on the podcast to the tune of about 20 million funding so far in space about 12 months and he's also just an awesome character so can't wait to get stuck into this conversation without further ado welcoming Joe Caprio of Reprise. Hey Joe. Hey Ben. How are you man? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this. I was looking forward to this one. I've been really excited for this conversation today, and it's like 5.30 p.m. here, so I've had a lot of hours of excitement, Joe. <laughs> I'm catching you at the end of your day. It's 9.30 for me. I'm on the West Coast. I'm, I'm just north of San Francisco, and so I've been, I've been at it for about two hours right now, so I'm, I'm fresh, so I hope I can deliver for you. So you're fresh, but you've been excited for those two hours that you've been fresh, right? I've been looking forward to this for about a week and a half now. Oh. I, I love I love the early stage stuff. This is my this is my third time going really early. It's my first time as a founder. And uh, I've, you know, done the zero to 20 million trip twice before this. And I, I do a lot of advising for early stage companies, a lot of like founder-led sales. And uh, when you were telling me about your podcast and I went and listened to a couple of episodes and you know, I think we could have a really fun conversation that people would really like to listen to. So yeah, I was pumped about this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I've been thinking on exactly the same thread. I've been checking out a lot of your LinkedIn stuff over the last couple of weeks since we uh, first connected and you are the sales guy. You really, <laughs> you, you, you say you're the career VP of sales, but you really are, you know, like not that I didn't believe you at first, but checking out your posts and just the insight that you give. You know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm really... I'm really embarrassed, um, but proud of what I'm doing on social media right now because you know I'm 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 40 years old. I grew up in manufacturing sales, which in America is like a very legacy, old-fashioned. I'm doing air quotes, old-fashioned type of business, and you know at at startups it's an entirely different ballgame. 
And most folks that I work with now that work in startups, they, they come right out of college and they, they go to their first startup right at the, at the age of 21, they start learning this type of business. But I did 10 years in manufacturing sales. And then I went to my first startup at 30. And so I always felt like I had this world of knowledge that most folks entering startups don't know. I had 10 years of, of field sales. And then I went to a startup, it was called Insight Squared back in Boston. And like I said, I was employee nine and uh, we grew to 200 people. You know, we did like 35 million in sales in the time I was there. And we sold a forecasting product. And most of our customers were other venture-backed startups. And so I spent the better part of like six years selling a forecast and an operating model to other startup sales leaders. And so we always kind of half serious, we said, we're getting our MBA in, in sales leadership while working at Insight Squared. But it's not a joke. It was real. I came out of that job, like really, really tuned into how to build an operating model and, and, and drive a sales team through metrics. And then after that, I went to Chorus, which is a call recording software. And their big focus is recording your sales calls so you can then build training lists to onboard new employees and do film review, almost like a professional sports team, watch the game tape and critique a sales rep. And so I sold you know, call recording in the, in the thought of coaching for a few years. And so I got really good at, at the metrics and Insight Squared. And then I got really familiar with how to onboard and how to train and, and how to mentor salespeople. And so I really felt like I was building just like a, a great base uh, of skills and information it would take to be a good sales leader. And, you know, I would continue my career as, as a VP sales, if not for a couple of the co-founders from Insight Squared called me and asked me to be a co-founder this time. But you're totally right. I, I fancy myself a sales leader. I'm a career salesperson. I've been a sales VP for over a decade now. That's where my passion is. It just so happens that the, the founding team at Reprise needed somebody like me on the, on, the, on the leadership level. And they called me and asked me to be a co-founder. But if not for that, I'd probably be another VP sales at another startup right now. That's where I'd be. Yeah, you, you didn't have anything else going on that day, so you thought, you know, why not? It looks like an okay gig, I suppose. <laughs> well, if you really want to know, Ben, the, the truth is that I was I was fired in February of last year as the head of sales at Chorus. Uh, we had fallen a little bit behind on our number, and and you know, the CEO and I had a really honest conversation about whether or not we thought we had the right chemistry to make it work. And I'm I'm really mature about this stuff. It's funny to say I'm mature about this stuff. I think I'm just honest with myself that the average tenure for a VP sales and SaaS is 15 months. It used to be a year and a half. Now it's down it's to 15 insane. months. It's a year and a quarter. And I lasted two years and you know, we hit a bunch of our, we hit our number more often than not. And we grew the business. I can't share their private, but we grew the business like 4X in, in annual revenue in, in two years time, which is really, really good, but not fast enough. And so we had an honest conversation about maybe they need a new, you know, a new leader. And, and they also had a new CEO coming in. And so I was out of a job. And then COVID hit like, three weeks later. And out of respect to the team, you know, we hadn't even communicated that I was leaving yet. We were working on our communication plan and, and our exit strategy when COVID dropped. And so I found myself out of a job at the beginning of a pandemic when, you know, the SaaS industry was having a 30% layoff like across the board. And I said, this is going to be a really tough year for a lot of salespeople and especially for a newly hired sales leader. A lot of these companies are going to miss their number. They weren't doing quota relief. And so I was kind of faced with a decision of, you know, starting a new, a new path right at the beginning of the pandemic when my friends, Brian and Sam and Evan called me and, and it was really serendipitous. And, 
if not for COVID and if not for being fired and if not for, you know, working at Inside Squared a decade ago, like, no, I wouldn't be in this position right now. So life's funny like that, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. So we've, uh, we always, always go back to the human story of like, where were you when this idea came together in 2020 or when you pushed the button on this startup? Um, but that's a, what you just shared. There's a unique story. You were actually out of a job when COVID struck and you're wondering what to do next. So here's a question. Had it not been for that situation where you actually needed a new gig, would you still have jumped in as a co-founder of Reprise? No, I was I was really loyal. Um, I grew up I grew up in a, in a working class family in a very blue collar town, and you know my um, my family we rented an apartment. We never owned a house, and we were in the middle unit of a, of a three family house just north of Boston. And um, you know my brothers and I shared a bedroom, which was actually the dining room. My parents were in the bedroom. It was a one bedroom apartment. And so my two brothers and I, and you know, the audience can't see me. I'm a big dude and I'm the runt in my family. Both of my brothers are bigger than me. always have been. Even my little brother's bigger than me. And so I was on the top bunk of a bed until I was 17 years old when my older brother went off to college. And so growing up that way really drives a sense of loyalty and, and, and like teamwork and, and sticking together. And, you know, I was a college athlete. I played offensive line in football, which is a very thankless job. And so somehow some way deep ingrained in me is the sense of, you know, sacrifice for the greater good and teamwork. And so, you know, I wasn't going to leave chorus. I was going to stay for the year. And, you know, my friends at reprise had been calling me and asking me for advice. And I'd kind of been advising from the sidelines because this is a problem that's very dear to me, very near to me. And so I was already attached to the team at reprise, but no, I would never have joined the company much less as a co-founder if I hadn't been let go at um, Chorus. So that's amazing. That, that as a catalyst on a personal level is amazing. Um, but jumping into, well, first of all, I don't think I've officially welcomed you, Joe. Welcome to the <laughs> 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm, I'm so pumped to be here. In spite of what I just said, man, it's, uh, <laughs> life works the way it's supposed to sometimes. I can't remember the last time I was this happy and productive and felt like, you know, I'm finally the right, the right shape for the hole I'm in. <laughs> like I'm not a square peg in a round hole. Like I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be in spite of the, you know, the random set of circumstances that put me here. Okay, so, so let's get into that. Um, you know, welcome to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club. You are a 2020 entrepreneur. And, you know, it's always a case of let's rewind back to where it all began, you know, how this idea first came together, who the personalities were. But I think it'd be great to start with that moment that you've just described. So it's like March time last year. Mm -hmm. uh, you're out of a job. Um, you're a career VP of sales, wondering what's next. When does that first phone call come from from your buddy and, and the, these conversations start about reprise yeah well it's it's actually funny the all four of the co-founders at reprise did work together at insight squared and so it's two of the original co-founders of insight squared this is their fifth venture together and they've added two two folks to the founding team myself and evan powell who were on the sales leadership team at insight squared and, um, you know, we're, we were a very close knit group inside squared was a really, really special place. Um, you know, I learned a lot. My mind was really opened up. I came from legacy manufacturing as an industry to cutting edge startups, which is such a progressive point of view and like a woke mindset. And, and I really, you know, was, was introduced to like sales principles as well as just human decency in a way that I never was before. And so that company made such a mark on me. It really changed my life. And it's funny, 
I met my wife at Insight Squared. She led one of the marketing divisions and I, and I led the, the, the BDR team for a while. And, uh, you know, in working together at that company, we, that's how we met and ended up getting married. We got married a year after I left Insight Squared. We had 150 people at our wedding. We rented out a summer camp in the woods in October after the kids went back to school. And we had a long, we had a three-day weekend at this summer camp. We had 150 people stay in the woods with us. 50 of those 150 people were Insight Squared alumni and their, and their significant others. And in fact, all four of, of us, so my three co-founders, were all at our wedding a couple of years ago. And so I consider them family. I feel so safe with them. I trust them. And it's like a real lifelong relationship that we have. And so when Brian Stevenson, our, our CEO, came up with this idea, he initially called me and asked me for advice on it. You know, because I'm I'm one of the one of the key positions that this product solves for, and so I've been advising at Reprise from from the, the initial inception of its idea, and I recommended Evan Powell to be Brian's first co-founder. You know, and then I, I know Sam Clemens obviously from working at Insight Squared, and so I was already kind of attached, but more in an advisory role. And so when I was let go at at Chorus, we agreed not to tell anybody you know, for, for like the first month during my transition plan. And so I was texting with Brian and I just said, Hey man, you know, you know, I'm an early stage startup guy. I've gone zero to 20 twice now. Like if you have any friends that are looking for a sales leader, but we got to keep it quiet because we're not telling the team at chorus that I'm leaving. You know, if you have any, any like technical founding type friends that need a, a business partner, let me know. And he replied back and he's like, hey, are you shitting me? He's like, we're ready to launch, man. I've been building this thing in my basement for a year. Like, I'm ready to go. I need someone to take it to market. And so it really just was like a fortunate set of circumstances that I found myself looking for a job right at the time that, that Brian found himself ready to launch this product that I had already been advising and, and helping on from the beginning. And so it really was just like a beautiful you know, set of um, coincidences that led me here. Yeah, serendipitous indeed. And that word comes up yeah. often on the podcast. I guess it's going to be synonymous, uh, synonymous with entrepreneurship stories, right? Uh, there's usually some kind of serendipity in the air when, when the good ideas come together. And you know, I hope that your guests are, are humble enough to, to be proud of their accomplishments and, and willing to share what makes them, you know, what makes them successful, but also like earnest and humble enough to know that there's a lot of luck in this. There's a lot, a lot of luck for the people that have been successful on this planet. I, I, I know that for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting for some, Joe. <laughs> It can help me out with where I might find something. Um, so, hey, there's this. How long had the reprise? I must apologize. I've been calling reprise reprise for like oh, a solid, a solid <laughs> two months. You know, what is it? A rose by any other name? I'm not really offended by it. It's it's a musical term. And knowing what our software does, it, it clones your software and creates a demo environment out of it that you can edit and tailor so you can deliver more effective presentations. And so we chose the name Reprise because it's a musical, it's a term when you bring a part of a song back or, or you, bring, you bring back a role. And it's really funny, Ben, because you can reprise your role during a reprise. And so if you ask the Google machine, you know, reprise as a noun, but reprise as a verb. And so I really can't get upset if people mispronounce our name, as long as they don't call us a reprise. <laughs> I think there's something in a name that's commonly mispronounced because when they eventually have a conversation with an employee of reprise and you correct them, say, oh, it's actually reprise. It kind of sticks in their mind more. 
I, mm. I think it, it is something that some of the the larger brands out there often um, mispronounce. Don't ask me to name any, but you know, they're, they're <laughs> definitely. And yeah, I, I think there's some magic in it on the branding front. Um, okay, I have one. So- hold on, Ben. I'll give you one that's really. I just find this so funny. It's a little blue, so I hope you're not. I hope your audience isn't offended. No, no, no blue away. You're in the right place. Yeah, I had a I had a rep on my team once. We were trying to sell the, to Calidus Cloud, massive, massive company, Calidus Cloud, and. Um, he kept calling it Kaleidos Cloud. And uh, I had to stop and say, hey, man, do you really think their company is called Kaleidos Cloud? I can't imagine they would launch with a business name like that. <laughs> uh, and so, so what, what happened in the end? Did he manage to call anyone at Kaleidos Cloud, Kaleidos Cloud? Oh, yeah, of course we did. We got laughed out of the room. We didn't win the deal. <laughs> oh, and that's why you decided to uh, to create Reprise, obviously. So he had, would have had some good technology to help him along in that deal. Um, so... Uh, let's before we dive into everything that Reprise does, uh, we're still in this moment in time where you've got this founding team has, has come together, um, uh, guys that you've worked with in the past. Uh, there's this moment of serendipity. You, you, you know, looking back on it now, you're lucky that uh, everything panned out the way it did at Chorus. Um, what month of 2020 was Reprise officially launched? April 1. April 1. Okay. So we're in the middle of the shit then that COVID is, is a thing, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So at that point in time, before you knew that reprise was, you know, going to become absolutely even more hugely relevant to the world of tech sales, going back to that moment where not only have you just lost your high flying job at a really successful tech company, not only is there, you know, if you jumped into something you've never done before, you know, a co-founder at tech startup, you've just been hit by a global bloody pandemic, right? What's, what's your next thought? So you like, shit, I, I should have just gone and found a conventional job here. What, what am I doing? Or, you know, talk me through your, your thoughts in Joe's head at that point in time. Yeah, I, I was late stage at a couple of companies. You know, I was looking at like a VP of enterprise sales role. Um, and I was looking at a, an overall sales role, like a sales leader role. And uh, and then at a, at a company I've always loved, I was looking at actually a BDR leadership role and saying, you know, any port in a storm at that point. And, uh, and I was thinking about doing this thing with Reprise. And so those were my options, a couple of traditional roles and then a role that was maybe a step down, but at a great company or, you know, leap into this thing. And, you know, my wife's very supportive and and also very successful. She works at AWS and she pulls a good salary. And um, we sat down and and she said, well, what would you do? You know, if if you, if you were just chasing like day-to-day happiness, what would you do? And she said, um, you know, if we were like gambling, what do you think actually nets out the most money when it's all said and done? And, you know, we, we went through all those, all those checklists, all those like decision criteria you would do. And this is where my heart was. I didn't want to do anything else with this. Like, you know, in spite of the risk and in spite of the newness and in spite of like the imposter syndrome that everybody gets, this is what I wanted to do. And, you know, what you want is probably right in life if you're true to yourself. So we sat down and it's funny, we, we built a spreadsheet um, you know, the, the change in income, because a lot of founders take a reduced salary, obviously. And, uh, I, I did have a high paying job. And so we calculated out like what our, what our Delta was like, how much less money will we have? And then we started to ask ourselves, you know, how would we live on that much less money? And two things really stuck out at me. One, um, 
you know, we were just wasting money on stupid things, right? Like, you know, a $13 trip to Starbucks, you know, like three days a week. And so we realized it wouldn't actually be that hard to, to live within our means. And um, the other thing we, that we found was with COVID, we weren't really doing anything anyways. We weren't going out. We weren't spending money. We weren't traveling. We weren't going to dinner. And so we actually ended up seeing a path where we could do this without a major impact to our lives and into our nest egg. And, you know, I think it's, I think, you know, without getting too serious with you, I think it's signal of what's really going on in the world and, and the advantages and opportunities that somebody like me might have that afforded me this luxury to go do this without making real major sacrifices in life. You know, my day-to-day is pretty similar to what it used to be. And, you know, I just feel really fortunate to have been given this opportunity. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you, you've said this because I had a very similar personal journey last year, but I was doing the same role as you um, head of sales for, for sense as you know, sense mm-hmm. in the UK. And um, my, the job was going brilliantly, <laughs> you know, and I, I literally quit. Well, I told them I, I had this idea and I wanted to go off and they were massively supportive by the way. So I ended up transitioning slowly out. Uh, but I saw the change in the market here and I thought I've got an idea and I'm going to go for it. But the reason I did was because of conversations that I had with my wife where, oh, well, I'm earning this great salary now, but actually we're staying in, we're in lockdown. We, we can't spend anything. Um, there's no time like the present. I'm never going to have an opportunity like this again to sit in my house fucking six months yeah. and build a tech company and, you know, get really busy and, and, and save a lot of money whilst I'm at it. And that shouldn't be the reason you start a business, but that's the reality with me. It was. And there's also other parts of that, which I don't really talk about because I think you, you can sometimes come across the wrong way, but the reality was when you're working as a VP of sales and you, you're traveling around and you're hopping on a plane to, to go to meeting and you're being well-paid and there's lots of, stuff being expensed there's drinks at the bar there's lots of fun stuff it's quite hard to step away from that until you have a reset moment mm-hmm. uh, and, and sometimes that reset moment is, is being fired from a job uh, or uh, you, you know your your company going under you the significant life events uh, and in this case for me it was covid where you had a bit of a, a, a double whammy you had covid and and um uh, and you know, being fired, them. you could say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Fired, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone listening here, if they haven't been fired, then wow, you really haven't put yourself out there and, you should, and, and yeah. tried new things, right? Well, they should try harder to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, so you reprise has launched, and you know, we usually start with what the, the what the concept is about, and yeah, but I, I'm glad we, we we had this um non concept conversation so far, but yeah, let's jump into it. We know nothing about it. So tell us, Reprise, apart from the name and how we should be pronouncing it, talk us through what uh, Reprise is as a concept. Yeah, so we this is a classic founder story where we had this problem at Insight Squared. You know, I was the head of sales and, and Brian was the head of engineering. Sam was the head of product. And together we had this problem. When it comes to demoing a, a piece of software, you typically do it over a screen share, like you're on Zoom and you want to say like, this is how my product works. That's what a salesperson does, right? Like, let me show you what my product works. You load a screen share, you go into a production environment of your software and you use your software in front of a customer. And that's how you demonstrate your product. It's called a demo. Everyone knows this. But what every SaaS company out there has to decide is when they show their screen and they show their software, what are they showing? Is it their data? Is it their instance of the product? Is it a customer's instance? 
Is it an anonymous sandbox where maybe you're not worried about what you're showing, but it's like Jim and Dwight from the office or Mickey Mouse. And you're trying to tell a story about how companies use your product. But to tell that story, you kind of have to fill your product with anonymous or safe data that one doesn't expose your data or your customer's data, but two still looks and feels real enough to tell a compelling story. And a lot of companies struggle with this. They're showing their own data off or they're showing a production environment where the engineers are releasing new code. And so the product goes down while you're on a demo. You release a new feature. And because you haven't used that feature internally, your data set doesn't show up. And so you can't show your new stuff out on calls, right? And your reps are kind of all over the place because every time they load their product, it's almost as if they're seeing that day's data for the first time. And if you have multiple reps in the demo account at the same time, they're tripping over each other and, and clicking buttons that impact one another. And so the idea of a demo in, in, in SaaS is actually really, really frustrating to a lot of sales leaders. And we go to the engineering team for help. I need a demo environment. Can you build me a demo? And the engineering team is kind of annoyed by that because it's like, I don't write your blog. I don't host your webinar. Right? I build the product. Why are you asking me for this asset that's obviously a sales and marketing asset? And so I don't have the technical capability to own and control my demo. And I really can't ask the engineering team for those resources because they have to keep building the real product. And so there's a gap for every SaaS company out there when it comes to what are you going to do to give a demo? How do, you, how do you control your demo? And so we've built a piece of technology. It's really straightforward. It copies the front end, the UX of your product and allows you to edit and manipulate the data in real time. And so instead of showing one production environment of your software, we're copying that production environment. We're tailoring it by role, by vertical, by segment. We're filling it with data that really resonates and helps you tell a story. And then we're enabling you to put that demo on your website, put it out over email, give it to your champions after a first call. And so we're doing two real things right now. We're removing the risk when delivering a demo by giving you a safe, controlled environment to demo. And we're also removing that buyer-seller friction where it's like every time they want to ask a question or learn about your product, they got to come to another meeting with your sales team. And so our big value prop right now is delivering safe, tailored demos and delivering asynchronous buying experiences where your customers want to do self-education and not be sold to. And so that's our product. We've got the first demo creation technology to go to market. And, you know, we're growing like crazy and companies like Gainsight and Medallia and Clary and Troops and Cloudera, right? And more and more companies are signing on every day to, to use our demo creation software. Yeah, you've had ph uh, phenomenal growth so far. And, uh, definitely it's been wild, in. Ben. It's been wild. I'm going to question you on this <laughs> in several minutes time, Joe, but um, on the product itself, because you'd be selling to me, right? Yeah. Uh, not, not yet, Joe. I'll, I'll yeah. buy it in a bit. But when, you know, in my previous roles, you'd be selling to me. Sure. And there was always, whenever I was teaching sales reps to demo, I'd be like, listen, you're selling $50,000 worth of products here, right? You've got an hour to do it on Zoom. So this is your show. It's about the choreography, the same way that you would dance when you went onto stage in, in a West End production, right? Yeah. It's the choreography of this show. If you've got a sales engineer in your demo, you need to choreograph with him or her to ensure that you guys are like synchronized swimmers, right? Yeah. But the issue is what you were saying before about there being just one demo environment for the whole company. It'd be like putting on a Broadway show 
with an audience member from every different part. Let's say you were selling to the audience, right? It's not the best analogy. I just made it up. <laughs> but it's like having an audience member from every different type of client sitting there watching the same show and, and it doesn't yeah. work, right? Yeah. So on a basic level, if I've got five demos today and I've got one with a with a law firm and I've got one with a, with a healthcare provider and so on. And, you know, the status quo is we've got this one big shared demo account. As, as the sales guy, how am I using Reprise to show a tailored demo to each one of those prospects? Yeah. So that's a really, that's a really funny question, right? When you, when you think about the current state in SaaS, how are we manufacturing these experiences? How are we creating these demos right now? It comes down to using our product. You have to use your product. You have to almost create a fake business behind the scenes and get that fake business to use your product in order to create the data in your software. And I'll give you an example. There's a medical scheduling software where I'm friends with the solutions engineer. And I asked this, I said, Hey, you know, how do you, how do you make sure that your demo has the right data in it? And he told me the story. He said, you know, Joe, it's pretty easy for me. Um, we, we sell a medical scheduling software and, and the whole value prop to our customers. We sell to medical offices. It's if a patient declines a meeting or no shows a meeting, we'll make it more likely you fill that time and you can maximize the number of patients that you see. And so it's really important to me that I can show my prospects what the schedule looks like when people decline meetings and then show them how easy it is to, to get a replacement you know, patient. And so all I have to do every night before I go home, all I have to do is invite myself. I have five different Gmail addresses and I invite myself five different times to a doctor's appointment. And then I log into those Gmail addresses one at a time. I log into all five and I accept three of the, of the meetings and I reject two of the appointments. And as long as I do that every night, my sales reps have a dashboard that shows accepted and rejected appointments. And that's all I have to do. And I laughed in his face and he said, it's all you have to do is you have to behave like five sick people every single day and email yourself and reject the email. And like, that's all you have to do. And so you start thinking about it. Like we are really putting incredible, insane effort into creating these environments just so we can show somebody what it looks like. And so your question's interesting to me because it's like, how would I, as a sales rep, show a demo to my fintech vertical and then a different demo to my manufacturing vertical? How would I deliver a view that's different for an enterprise versus an SMB? The reality is most of us don't. Most of us right now just don't. We have one demo environment. And if you listen to the floor, you know, this is pre-COVID, if you walk the sales pit, right? If you listen to, to your sales reps on calls, what you'll hear is now you could imagine yours would look different. Yeah, those right, your sales. No, no, yours would be different than this. Your right, and we're spending tens of millions of dollars building these products, and then we're marching our sales reps out there with wooden swords, telling them like, do some hand waving, or hey, how about we start with slideware instead of a product demo? Because that's what your prospect wants is a bunch of PowerPoint slides, right? And so I really think it's a, it's a matter of going from an inability like a flat out inability to solve this problem to you know signing on with a vendor that will solve it for you. And so what we do is we copy that one core demo that you do and we give you the easiest editing tools where you can just type over the data. So you replace the, the, the FinTech company with a medical company or with a SaaS company or with a manufacturing company and you create you know five demos instead of one. And then your sales rep just loads the dashboard and says, oh, I'm 
I'm pitching vertical one, let me launch that demo. Or I'm pitching vertical two, let me launch that demo. And so we've totally changed the way that our customers are even thinking about a demo. And it's no longer, like I said, load your product up and look to see what the dashboard looks like in that moment. And then almost do live improv with a customer where you invent a storyline. We're replacing that with like steady, reliable, scripted click tracks that perform the same way every time, no matter how many people are in there. They know which row of data to point at. They know what story to tell. And it just works. And so the way our customers are delivering tailored demos is by creating sort of a demo engineering team you know, behind the scenes that instead of having your sales engineer get on a Zoom call and do a live demo, you take a sales engineer behind the scenes who creates a library that allows the rest of the sales and sales engineering people at your company to deliver demos because it's always on the rails and it's always safe. So the answer is you have a resource that locks down what the different talk tracks would be by vertical and by role. And then those assets are evergreen. They're reusable again and again, instead of just being like a moment in time and five minutes later, that data changed and your story breaks. Yeah, and this is, and this is massive. Do you know how many times I've said, you know, you, you, you alluded to this saying that the amount of times I've said to someone mid-demo, oh, so, you know, I know this is a nurse, but just imagine it's a pilot. You know, you're just trying to convert whatever's on the screen to what is relevant to their business with words. And it is so backwards that of all the industries out there, it's tech that has to pretend to be something else. Because if I go for a, a, a test drive in a car, if I want to test drive a BMW, they don't bring me a Mercedes and say, just imagine it had a different logo on the steering wheel and, and it, it would be the same. So, so why? It's such a good analogy. Oh my goodness! I'm glad so I good. came up with one. <laughs> yeah, I like this. What was the first one? An audience member. I like this analogy a lot better. You okay, want to, okay. If you want to buy a Mercedes, they don't have you test drive a Hyundai and then say you could imagine if these seats were leather. You could imagine. Yes. <laughs> they don't do that to you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. You can have this one on me. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so, and is. Okay, so so let's go back to a, a, a part of your business, and this will take us into the you know explosive growth that you guys have had, and I really want to get to the to the funding element of it as well, um, because you know it, it's it's a very interesting part. But you're talking it, so you've had this um, this concept is being built for a while. You've jumped into it in March, and it's something that's really needed in, in software sales. But I bet you didn't really anticipate you know COVID seeing a sudden shift and a sudden uh, extra air of importance around software sales, you know, none of us really saw it at the time. But for me, what happened was where I would usually do five face-to-face demos in a week and maybe a couple of online share screens, I was all of a sudden doing full online share screen demos and also one hour. Everyone's got a hard stop. That's it. So you've got a one hour opportunity to nail it. So all of a sudden the importance of that choreography in that one hour went up tenfold. So when you guys start to realize this, talk us through those few months of realization and and initial growth when you start to realize that COVID was actually going to create a lot of demand for this product. 
Yeah, it hit it hit differently for us. But what you're describing is is really really um, accurate. We did have an epiphany um, early on as a company. So I joined April first. We we raised our seed round in May. Um, we took a three million dollar seed. We thought it would go for eighteen, you know, twenty four months like most startups. So we were planning on using that seed round from last May until the end of this year was our initial plan. Um, and so we were using the seed round to find product market fit, do a bunch of prospect interviews and figure out what features mattered most and, and like, you know, finish building our product. And um, I called a, I called the CMO at Pendo. His name's Joe Chernock. He's brilliant. One of the best marketers in the business, um, you know, former HubSpot, former Eloqua, former Insight Squared, just truly, truly brilliant. And so I called him. I said, Joe, I need some help. Okay. I'm launching a company right now, you know, and it's, it's for salespeople and sales engineers, and it's about product demos. And I need your help with messaging. Can I give you a demo of this product or, or at least talk through what we're building and just get your help, you know, as a favor. And so I showed this CMO, this demo creation software, and he stopped me halfway through and he said, Joe, hold on. Like, this isn't just for salespeople. This isn't just for sales teams. He's like, you're, you're kind of missing something right now. And he started talking about COVID. He started talking about the changes in the way people are evaluating technology. And he's talking specifically about product-led growth, the idea of letting a customer or a prospect self-educate, maybe even use your product for free without even talking to sales with the idea that then they'll sell themselves and graduate into being a paid customer. And he said, you know, with, with, the, with COVID, what's really happening right now is every SaaS company is looking to get leaner and more efficient right? And, and reduce human capital and find, you know, uh, a way to sell their product with fewer hurdles or, or burden, you know, blockers to the, to the buyer. And it's really challenging for enterprise SaaS companies to give up a free trial because unlike Uber or Airbnb or a streaming channel on your Roku device, where you can like download the application, see the inventory, and then decide if you want to be a customer, unlike B2C, you know, iPhone technology, B2B enterprise SaaS technology requires work to make the product drive value. And so there's an integration that has to take place. There's a configuration that has to take place. There's an onboarding that has to happen. There's user training that's often required. And then a lot of times with B2B enterprise SaaS, it takes like weeks of usage for someone to really see the value versus with Uber, you download it and you see the cars. With Airbnb, you download it and you see the you see the, the listings. With enterprise SaaS, there's a time to value. And so while the market right is shifting to buyer-led, product-led strategies, it's all the consumer wants. And it's what the SaaS companies want to deliver. It's what the advisors and the investors are telling us to do. Get more product-led, get more product-led. But it's like how? If our product requires work to get value, it's a fool's errand to just put it for free up front. And so he explained to me that, hey, you might have more progress or you might have a faster go-to-market if you enable enterprise SaaS companies to behave in a product-led way. And so this was our aha moment where we're not just building for the idea of live demos. We're also building demos that our customers put on their website and allow customers to self-educate. We're building demos that our, our, our customers, their sales reps are giving to the champion after a first meeting. Instead of saying, bring your boss to a call next week, they're saying, show your boss the sandbox. You can have access to the sandbox. We're finding demand gen leaders that are not emailing people saying, do you want to meet my sales rep? Because no one does. 
they're emailing saying, here's a sandbox I built for you. Here's a trial. As a step one, we're reaching out to people saying, this is what our product would do for you. And it's really like collapsing sales cycles and increasing win rates and dramatically slashing the cost of sale. And so I actually have two like business drivers that we offer at Reprise. It's the original idea of custom verticalized sales demos to perform live on Zoom. But then I also have this program that's been super effective where I'm enabling enterprise SaaS companies to behave product-led and put a little teaser demo at the beginning of the process. And I think that is entirely driven by COVID and the B2Cification of B2B buying. And so that's our real COVID aha is we're not just solving for live demos. We're enabling our customers. We're enabling these businesses to sell the way their buyers want to buy which is touch the product and then talk to sales, which is a total paradigm shift for most of, of B2B SaaS. Yeah, and it's really, really smart because you're right. There's a kind of, we if it's an enterprise sales product, you can't touch it. It's too big. It's too expensive. It's too important. You can't touch it. You have to part with loads of cash and then it's going to take us two months for you to actually get your hands on it. Right. Right. Um, but people don't like buying that way. And, you know, the kind of consumerization of, of, of enterprise sales is a really, really good way to describe it. Um, and you're not just suddenly because there's a bit of a misconception. If you if, if a prospect can go onto the website and try it out, well, then it must be really cheap. And right. you generally only see this with, um, products that you purchase with no rep in, in mm -hmm. the middle. And, but some of those right. products are the, uh, belong to the most successful companies on the planet. And then what you're doing for uh, within the sales cycle is re reducing time for the sales guy and you're giving a better buying experience to the customer because we've all wanted to try the product. Every software demo I do, I ask for a sandbox or I ask I for something to log into. Nine times out of 10, they say no. Mm -hmm. The only time they actually give me something is if they know me for an industry to go, oh, yeah, I don't like it. Right. Because they don't want you to have, um, you know, an inaccurate experience, which it <laughs> often is because you're going into that mess of a demo account that we've been referring to. And, you know, they're nervous to, to, to give you the keys to, to this big machine. But what you're doing is kind of slimming it down. And, uh, well, if, if I'm right here, you're, you're segment, segmenting relevant parts of, of the demo experience that that client can just see that, right? Yeah, exactly. I have customers that sell one product, you know, that they have one focus, they do one thing really well. And so they put a tour on the website and it's like tool around and see what we do. And then I have other customers like Medallia is like 40 companies under one umbrella. They have like 40 different SKUs and they're building a library on their website that lets people explore all the different offerings that Medallia has. Same thing with Gainsight. Same thing with Pendo. They sell five or six different things. Same thing with Cloudera. They're a very, very complicated technology. And I'm not, I'm not saying that their customers are now buying off a shopping cart on the website. I'm not actually saying that. I'm saying we're increasing the conversion rate at the top of the funnel by enabling people to get what they want on your website. They don't want to talk to sales before they know what you do, and they don't want to learn what you do through eBooks and case studies and videos. They just want to touch it the way they would touch Uber or Airbnb. And so we're not doing the full deep dive demo. It, you know, we're just kind of saying, here's the UX, here are the key value drivers, click around a little bit, and now let's get in there and talk to sales. And then my customers are running a traditional sales motion, but their leads off the website, they don't convert to a discovery call with a bad attitude. You know, what do you mean discovery? I, I click get a demo on your website. Yeah. They don't come to that first meeting already annoyed. 
that come to that first meeting like, yo, I was on that demo on your website. That's pretty cool. Thanks for giving me access. I didn't see the integration I want. Can you do that? Or I didn't see the feature I want. Can you do that? And that's like a stage three conversation more than a stage one conversation. And so I'm not eliminating salespeople. I'm not forcing you to be freemium. I'm just enabling the prospect to get the experience they want on your website. So they're more willing to talk to your sales team and have an honest conversation instead of feeling like it's a bit of a poker game. You ever have that on a first call where, you know, as the sales rep, I want discovery, but the prospect is almost like, Oh, if I give them too much information, they might, they might lie about their product and tailor it to what I need. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of poker where they want the pitch up front, but we want the discovery up front so we can tailor the demo to their, to their specific pain points. And so the outcome of that is we train our sales reps to stiff arm people on the first call. It's, you said it, our product's too complicated. You wouldn't understand our technology until you give me discovery or it's our process. This is the discovery. Next week is the demo. And all I'm doing is just giving a little harbor tour up front. So they join that first call and they already feel like you showed your cards even though you just showed a high level, you know, like a high level overview of the tech, they feel like you showed your cards first and they show up to these meetings and they give real discovery to my customers on the first meeting, real discovery. Yeah. Cause they're curious, you know, you've ignited their curiosity with actual, with an actual part of the product. And it's the way that we usually shop, right? So the, the, uh, um, you, it's exactly a menu outside you the restaurant. It's a menu exactly. outside the restaurant. Right. Yeah. Or, or it's touching something. It's, it's picking up that jacket before you ask the guy if he's got it in your size, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly smart. It, it's, you know, it's going to revolutionize the, the way in which we sell tech. Um, so, jumping into reprise um, and growth now, I'm looking at Crunchbase. It's telling me you guys are at $20 million. Is, is, is that accurate <laughs> in funding so far? Or is it, is it surpassed that? You no, know, it's it's accurate. We like I said, we raised the seed in May of last yeah. year, and you know, the average grow, average like J curves in venture back SaaS is eighteen to twenty four months, and so we made an operating model as if we were going to ride that three million to the end of this year. Um, you know, eighteen months on a, on a three million seed, we thought we'd be like a ten person company, really boutique, and like just doing choice deals, you know, and and like really establishing product market fit. And what happened was absolutely nuts. Um, I had a, I had a 25% reply rate on, on cold email. I had a 40% conversion rate to trial and 28% uh, of the people I met with referred a friend after. And it just became really, really obvious to us that the market has been waiting for a solution to this problem for years, the demo problem. And this is the time to put you know, product experiences up front. And so that product-led growth pitch too was, was like really, really timely last year. And so instead of going 18 months on that $3 million seed, we had the lead investor at Bain VC, um, Ajay Agarwal, come inbound in October of last year, five months after our seed. And he preempted us with a $17 million A round. We didn't even do a deck. We didn't even build a pitch deck for it. And, and we raised $20 million on oh, the Oh, the idea. irony. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but like we raised $20 million on, on the idea itself and the initial traction that we had in our first five months when we met Ajay, like I can't, I can't share customer account and stuff like that, but it was, it was crazy. And there were five companies that he had already invested in that had already bought our tech 
technology and then called them and said, this is the future. And so we just were super, super lucky and fortunate with like the right product at the right time and, and just pent up demand. And uh, all four of us are super connected in the B2B SaaS type of space. And so our network just came alive and just started buying this thing. So we're at like 55 employees right now, 20 million in funding. And, you know, we're, we're growing in, in, in like an insane trajectory, like an insane trajectory we're growing. Yeah, no, it, it's really impressive so far, and I'm sure this is going to continue to to be an almost vertical trajectory. Tell me, what's it like having a VC come to you with a preemptive Series A of 17 million? It's terrifying. I bet. It's so terrifying, especially for me as the revenue leader. Um, I know what it takes to grow a business. I know long it usually takes to ramp up a new hire. I, you know, I, I know what it takes, and we essentially skipped a year. Um, and one of the harder years, you know what I mean? Like we skipped year two. And so, and so within six months, we decided to take what should have been year three money and sign up for a year three goal and, you know, a year three head count. And, and we were just barely into our, like halfway through our first year. And so we skipped, you know, 12, 18 months of, of um, preparation and build time. And um, it's really, really terrifying to, to, to a revenue leader to do that. But um, I was the loudest voice in the room that we should. And, and I knew, you know, cause I was, like I said, I was employee nine at Insight Squared and, you know, them and Clary and, and Aviso and Top Ops and, you know, Domo and, and Tableau and Looker, like that space just went nuts in the five years after I joined Insight Squared as employee nine. And I was employee 30 at Chorus and, you know, between Chorus and Gong and Exec Vision and Jiminy and Insight Squared, Salesloft, Outreach, Salesforce, like that category blew up in the, in the two years since. And so I've been at the dawn of category creation before, but like I have never in my life seen pull from the market like this. And so when, when Ajay and Bain came inbound, my team said, Joe, what do you think? Like, this is really going to put a lot of pressure on you and, and on the sales team. And I said, we got to fucking do this. Um, I've never seen a, a market so hot like this. And so terrifying and scary, but it was the right answer. And, you know, we've continued to just grow like crazy since. So there's, there's no regrets here. Hey, it, it's a really impressive tool and um, an impressive team. You're an impressive guy, Joe. <laughs> You're making Enjoy me uncomfortable now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for, for those who can't see Joe, I've, I've made him uh, really, really uncomfortable on, on the Zoom. Uh, no, I'm joking. Hey, it, it's, it's an amazing story so far. And um, I was actually saying when I was recording an interlude this morning, because we're halfway through season one, um, we've had, you know, 10 amazing 2020 entrepreneur stories so far, but it's the start of the story. And this is a really exciting thing for me now is where's next. So we're, we're talking about the season two being uh, the recap. And, you know, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll see you in the face. I'll get over to, to San Francisco and, and meet a few of the guests we've had there. And I'm, I'm getting just- my first shot this Saturday. Are you? There you yeah. go. We're, we're a little bit behind you in the UK. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to, to you know, when we have this conversation again in six, 12 months and we're looking back at just the last six, 12 months of growth that happened between conversation one and conversation two, uh, it's going to be amazing and I can't wait to see it. So what's been your, it's a question I always ask um, and we've kind of touched on it in parts of the conversation anyway, but whether or not this has been the, the best thing you've ever done and you know all of the successes that you guys have had so far you've still built a company at a very unique time in history right how much of this company build and, and hiring and, and investor relations have been over zoom 
Oh, a hundred percent. I haven't, I haven't seen my co-founders in person. Um, I haven't seen Brian or Sam since my wedding three years ago. I haven't seen them in person. And I saw Evan, my, my, my third co-founder. I saw him in person um, last, not this past December, but the December before. And he was out in San Francisco visiting his, his family. And uh, he asked me to lunch. And the irony is he asked me to lunch to talk to me about the idea of reprise because I had, I, Brian had asked me like, who's a good person to partner with. And I said, you should partner with Evan. He's about to get his MBA at MIT Sloan. And I know he's going to start looking for a job. And so Brian called Evan, pitched the idea to him. Evan said, Joe, I'm in San Francisco for, for the week. Like, do you want to get lunch? We had lunch together and he asked me if he should join reprise. And so that's the, that's the last in-person contact I've had with, with any of the co-founders. We haven't seen each other in person since um, I've got a couple of folks in California. I've, I've gone and, and, you know, had like a socially distanced drink with, and I know they're doing the same thing with the people we have in Philly. I know the people we have in Boston have gotten a chance to hang out together, but it's, it's pockets, you know, it's pockets and it, it, it it's hard, but um it's all over zoom and it's all over FaceTime and, and it's all digital and remote right now. And it, it's, it's been a challenge, but we're, we're feeling lucky to work with a lot of people that we know and care about. And I, I think we're just building a special team of like really good natured people. And uh, that's been a relief, but yeah, man, it's all zoom. It's all remote and it's challenging. Yeah. And, and I said it this morning when, when recording that interlude that it's lonely, you yeah. know, entrepreneurship is lonely a lot of the time. And just cause you have a team of 50 around you, we don't have that yet. We're hot in yep. the hills, Joe. Right? But it's because you're not leaving the house, because you have a lot of stuff on your mind that you just don't talk about because it's pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's lonely. But there's been lots of silver linings, and, and that was my that was my closing question. What has been the biggest silver lining for you over the last twelve months of building this business, specifically within COVID? Um, you know. This is this is going to sound a little crazy. Um, and I hope I explain myself properly. Like I hope how I feel comes across in what I say here. Um, last year, the pandemic in America was really eye-opening for a lot of people. And I grew up, like I said, really blue-collar and in, in like you know lower middle class, and we didn't have a lot. And I worked really, really hard and I put myself through school and I had to play a sport and work a job and go to school. And like, I never had anything and everything I've ever had, I earned myself. And so I was really proud of myself and I felt like I deserved what I had. And when COVID hit and the death rate was like 10 X in the inner city, and you really started to see this K curve where the rich were getting richer and the poor were really getting the raw end of it. And then George Floyd happened. And then it just seemed like a, like a perfect storm where we were all home and we were watching it in real time. And, and there, it was data driven and obvious to me, man, did I have like a real awakening and a lot of people around me had that too. And I feel like people have opened up their minds and have changed the way that they think about their success and what makes somebody, you know, successful or, or not successful in, in this society. And as a result of that, I feel like we have built a company full of some of the best people I've ever known and special people from different backgrounds with different points of view. And I just feel more, more open and aware of the people around me than I ever have in my life. 
and it's more rewarding as a result. And my relationships are better. And I just feel better every day because we're doing good things in the world. And so I'd love to say, you know, skipping around and growing like crazy and all this other stuff is the greatest thing to happen. But I just think that with crisis comes opportunity. And a lot of people have risen to, to that crisis or opportunity right now. And um, I just feel like a more complete person because of what I've learned this year. Really well said, Joe. You've, you've just summed up exactly how I feel. And I bet thousands of others out there, that, you know, I bet a huge chunk of, of the global population feels like that. And I think everyone has had awakenings in their own right. Some have started businesses, some have embarked on career changes, some have, you know, had really small things. But I think everyone has taken some kind of moment of reflection out of this whole crisis and 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 there's been positives from it well i must say uh, all of those sleepless nights of excitement for this conversation have been absolutely repaid this was an excellent uh, chat joe so thank you so much and uh, i can't wait for the next one yeah likewise I'm, I'm more than happy to do this i can't wait for it thanks again for having me i think you do a great job on this i've, I've listened to a few of the episodes like i said and uh I mean, it's really good. Like, it's really, really good. It's interesting stories. They're good guests. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just like really grateful you'd invite me. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Ben. Well, as you could probably tell, I could have carried on talking to Joe for quite a while there. So massive thanks to him. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. And as ever, I hope you guys did as well. And I can't wait to revisit that conversation on season two because I love the story behind it. I love Joe's candidness. I love his determination to jump into this opportunity and he jumped into it with two hands and it's a success story. They're one of the fastest growing tech companies on the West Coast right now and everyone should have their eye on Reprise. If you're in tech sales, you've probably been looking up Reprise since the start of Joe's conversation. Um, But if you haven't, get onto their website at getreprise.com. And yes, so many takeaways from that, but I just... I'm so happy that Joe had that moment and, you know, fell out of love with his former employer to end up in this amazing company that is going from strength to strength. And as I said, make sure you keep an eye on them for season two because I can't wait to see where they're going to be a little bit down the line. Stay tuned. This time we're staying in California. We are all about the investment on the next episode. We're diving into how you can be the next reprise and secure that 20 million funding but you have to have an amazing idea obviously coming up on the next episode of the 2020 entrepreneurs club we have jonathan poir who's uh, part of scrum ventures thank you so much for listening as ever if you like what you hear please rate us wherever you get your podcast it is really really helping us gain organic traction to all your friends shout from the rooftops um make sure you're socially distanced and all that of course And do tune in next time for the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast.